And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. I kind of just want to leave it there and go home. Um, um, goodness gracious. Y'all, it's been a week. It's been a week. And today has been so good for my soul, even up into this moment. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful for, for this church. I'm so grateful for moments like that where we just worship together, where we sing over one another when we are together cheering on what God is doing in our midst. So good. Every year around this time, I'm, I'm captured by this fantastic moment, right? This cultural event that happens in America every year. The tradition that was begun last century picked up steam in the 50s and 60s. It's had it, its impact on big cities and small towns. It's enjoyed by millions and millions, and people are passionate about this moment. It's pitted family members against one another. Days like today when your Girl Scout cookies get delivered to your home. For me in particular, it is the thin mint cookie. It's almost impossible to resist. For years now, I've been buying these delectable round mementos of joy and wonder and stuffing them in my freezer so that I might have them for long periods of time. And every year, I buy at least two boxes so that I might have them on my birthday in July and have one for Christmas. And yes, they stay in the freezer for that long until I open them. I have had to put Sharpies and other things on them. And you're asking, I know I can hear you asking, how do you do that? How's that even possible to put the number one selling cookie in your freezer and not, and not open it? Well, good old fashioned willpower has helped me, but also a vision, a vision of Christmas Eve, vision after we've lit candles in here and celebrated the birth of Jesus, going home, reaching into a freezer, pouring some cold milk, sitting down by a fire, Christmas tree lit, dipping some cookies and enjoying the quietness of that moment. That, for me, is enough to hold on. And I also eat about six or seven boxes between now and Easter, but that's not, that's not, I mean, I need a break after that. You see, both things are necessary, right? I, I've never just bought and two boxes of, of Thin Mints. You know, I commit myself to the joy of opening that fresh sleeve. I commit myself to that space. I, I say to myself, that is the thing that I want out in, in the future. Vision of what is to come. It's a pretty fantastic thing. And to give in to the temptation now would absolutely ruin that moment at Christmas because guess what? Nobody else is selling Girl Scout cookies in December. So if it only takes that vision to keep me from eating a cookie, what great vision does Jesus have in mind when he in, is engaged in this temptation, this test to use his position and power for his own comfort, for his own life and ultimate control over the whole entire world? What can we learn from the temptation of Jesus that will give you and I strength 
to engage the tests that come along in our lives, to engage the temptations that we have and overcome them. See, temptation is, is real and effective, and it happens, and it's, it's problematic, especially in times of change and shift in our lives. We tend to rely on our own strengths to lead us. You heard that here this morning, right here as a testimony. We tend to trust in our own gifts to serve us. We tend to believe that if we can control even a little piece of the world around us, then all will be well, and our tendencies are what get us in trouble. As believers, as individuals, and as a church, as a congregation. So, as a church, we need to look deep. As a church, we need to understand where God is leading. As individuals, we do as well, so that we might engage the disciplines that will empower us to let go of our tendencies, to do what honors our self-satisfaction and comfort, to do what makes us safe and create a kingdom in our own image as opposed to God and God's kingdom. If you're ready to jump in, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Out of Matthew 4, verses 1 through 4 today. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Spirit of the living God, you have given us these words. God, these words of Matthew to lead us, to prepare us for these moments that you have for us in this worship center and in the world. God, help prepare us for the work that you have for us. God, and as I pray often, make these words come off the page and alive in our experience like never before, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Over these next three weeks, we will spend time in the whole passage known as the temptation of Jesus. We're going to take each temptation on its own merit, in its own space. We're going to slow it down a little bit as opposed to going over the 11 verses that are the temptation of Jesus in Matthew. We're going to have to understand how he overcomes each suggestion that the devil gives. And what does that mean for us? What does that mean for the world? What does that mean for you as an individual? We are at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. There have been no signs. There have been no wonders, no healings, no miracles. Jesus has not taught in this taught the crowds or in the synagogue. In Matthew's gospel in particular. In Luke's gospel, that's where we hear Jesus teaching as a little boy in the synagogue. But in Matthew's gospel, as we've walked to this moment, Jesus really hasn't done much of anything. There's a whole story that is beginning at this particular moment. The gospel begins to take shape. Until now, Herod has been the antagonist but his time is done. We're getting ready to see all that Jesus will do. Jesus has, has just been baptized by John the Baptist. We heard Matthew talk about it. We've watched it. We've experienced that which, which Jesus did his own self. It's a recognition and a, and a connection Baptism being that 
public proclamation of that inner grace that we recognize so that we would know, we would know, and we would be able to cheer on those around us into a new, into a fresh, into a real understanding through death, into new life, is baptism. Chapter 3, verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love with him. I am well pleased. This statement by God over Jesus is no mystery It's not a puzzle that needs to get figured out. We don't have to go back to the original language to get some nuance here. This is Jesus, God's own son, and from this point on, we need not question or miss the significance of Jesus' words or actions. As God's son, he is God's messenger in the world. As God's son, he does God's will in this world. As God's son... He has God's interests at heart and will represent those interests to the world. These are also words for Jesus. A clear statement by his father and a reminder as he begins his work on earth of his identity, which brings clarity and responsibility. It is immediately after these words that Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness in order to be tested slash tempted by the devil. Tested slash tempted, tested slash tempted. They are interchangeable words. I got to tell you, I don't like this. It seems unnecessary. It seems mean. I'm not a fan, and I don't want this to be true. As Pastor Annie and I were talking about this series, we sat together and said, I, I really, I don't, I don't want, I don't like this. It, it betrays what I think God should be about. God shouldn't be leading me into, into testing. Matter of fact, Jesus teaches us later in, in Scripture, you know, pray this thing, Right? Lead me not into temptation, yet we see this reality here. There's so much more to say about the tempter, the devil, but that's going to come later in the series. For this moment, the who is not as important as the what. The fact that Jesus is tempted is vitally important and we understand who he is and how he operates in this world. Jesus, and by extension, you and I, are often tested slash tempted in this world to turn our backs on what God has given us in order to fulfill our own desires and tendencies. In some instances, it is God that tests. In others, it is the tempter, the accuser. In others, it is our own desire that leads us astray. We can talk about and list the, 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 the indulgence of drugs and alcohol and disordered eating and disordered relationships. We can talk about desire and ambition and vanity and revenge and fame. We can talk about power and greed. We can talk about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. We can create lists and lists of individual and corporate sins, but none of that is actually going to do us any good until we deal with what is being addressed at the testing slash tempting of Jesus. This is one of those things in Scripture that I have had a hard time with, but regardless of how it challenges my own sensibilities, I need to hear God's design and purpose in allowing Jesus to be tested by the devil. 
I stand in agreement with R.T. France when he says that the temptation of Jesus is primarily concerned with a divine testing rather than a satanic, meaning demonic, tempting. Either way, Jesus' objections to the tempting or the testing are completely and totally absent. But now that we know why Jesus is in the desert, let's see what Jesus does. Verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. There's no indication that Jesus was under some order to fast. No religious prescription that being in the desert was a time to fast. Note that we have just seen John the Baptist preaching in the desert, which, by the way, seems like a poor church growth strategy. John's not fasting. He's teaching and living off the land, eating locusts and wild honey. A weird diet but a sustainable one nonetheless. Jesus is in the desert as well, yet he engages a familiar and well-known discipline of fasting. A brief word on fasting. There doesn't seem to be a consensus as to why Jesus enters the fast. From a few different places I have read, it seems as though there is anywhere between three to ten different categories of fasts in the Old Testament. Regardless of the number, there seems to be a consensus over two things about fasting. One, Fasting is a means to return to the sustaining presence of God. Fasting takes place in repentance. We see that specifically in the Jewish community around Yom Kippur. A a return to God, a a remembrance of God, a, a not going in my direction anymore, but taking time to go in another direction and using a fast by which to do that. It is an identification all the way back to Adam and Eve where we dealt with food as a primary distraction from God. And now food is set aside so that we might engage the relationship with God. Both individual fasting and collective fasting throughout Scripture are a clear way that people and individuals can turn to a a sustaining presence of God. It is also used in mourning, in grieving, in times of grief, that people would lay aside food so that they can allow themselves the moment to grieve, to settle in, so that God can sustain them in those moments. Two, fasting is a means to abide in the sustaining presence of God. It's a means of remembering, right? So as we settle in and continue to do what God is calling us to do, we can engage a, a fast as, as we might at Lent time. In a few weeks, we'll engage moments. People engage fasts, not because they're away from God or they're repenting from anything, but because they want to engage the sustaining relationship or presence of God in their lives for a moment because they're anticipating that God is either going to do something or that God is already doing something. It's a mean of introspection. It is a means of transformation. The discipline of fasting of either type should result in spiritual transformation. We can only deduce that Jesus enters this fast as a means to abide in the sustaining presence of God as a preparation for his ministry and immediately for this test. Though there are many ways to fast. You can abstain from food. You can abstain from screen time. You can abstain from a lot of things. Jesus here is fasting food. Whether a major fast or minor fast, I don't know. But we know he's doing food because he's hungry. Verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God. 
Just two verses ago, and at least 40 days ago, Jesus heard the words, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. If you... Jesus has heard his birth story many times, I'm sure. So there's no doubt as who he is. Right? If, if Jesus' identity is being challenged, Jesus' core purpose is being called into question, Jesus is fully human, and I can only imagine is quite possibly wrestling with the response that you or I would have. What do you mean, if? I'll show you. Maybe this whole rabbi thing isn't really true. I don't know that God's really calling me to do this thing over here. Really, Lord, me? The tempter is trying to set Jesus' identity against the Father's. The question is, will he be able to set a wedge in the relationship of the Father and the Son? Tell these stones to become bread. Well, Jesus is about to break his fast. Jesus is about to get to Christmas Eve and open some thin mint cookies, but it's only the 19th. What an easy and simple way to satisfy his hunger. We know from later on that Jesus has no problem creating bread, feeding of 5,000 and feeding of 4,000 in Matthew. There's a lot of bread to be created. Jesus is really good at it. I didn't hear anybody complaining about that. It's a simple way to satisfy his own hunger, his own desire, and no one is watching. We have no thought that anyone else is around there. If Jesus turns the stones to bread, it will be the first miracle. It'll be the first miracle that he does in Matthew. It will be the only time in Scripture that Jesus uses a sign or a wonder and creates those things for his own satisfaction. All the miracles that Jesus does are for others. The power meant to express his messianic role would become magic and not a sign or symbol of the coming kingdom. It is not what he is being led to do by the Father, and Jesus is clear on that. So Jesus remembers and responds. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus chooses scripture. Jesus chooses to honor his identity as the Son of God and not satiate his own appetite. Jesus chooses to honor his identity as the Son of God. What is in Jesus' mind, and probably not in mine or yours immediately, is that Jesus' story and his identity as Messiah are tied to Israel and their identity as God's Son. It's at this point that we need to take a look back at the larger story in Scripture. We need to go back a little bit so we can understand what Jesus is seeing, what Jesus is understanding, why he actually uses this particular Scripture for a moment. Going back to Israel. Moses has just been chosen to help Israel from captivity. Help Israel moved from being an enslaved people to being a free people that are going to shine God's kingdom in this world. And we begin at Exodus 4.22. This is God speaking to Moses. It says, Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. Israel is enslaved in Egypt, and Moses leads them out in a fantastical way through the Red Sea. 
which, as you well may know, is an allusion to baptism. They are freed from slavery and are camping near a spring and they have livestock with them. And Exodus 16 is where they begin to complain. They are free for only two and one half months and the whole congregation comes to complain and wants to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to captivity. They want to go back to a place because it was a little bit easier there. I have no clue how that works. In my mind, I can sit back and think like, there's no way that I would want to go back to being enslaved after being free from what I know about slavery, especially here in the U.S. There's no way I would want to go back to that. There's no way I would want to go back given all the plagues that happened between the statement of freedom and the, and the time that they got free. There's no way I would want to go back and have to deal with the Red Sea again. Are you kidding me? I would have to go back and go to Pharaoh? So what does God do? God says, I'm going to feed you. With enough bread for one day, You'll be able to gather it in the morning, go gather it, pick up your bread, except for on the sixth day, he gave him twice as much because, you know, Sabbath. You with me so far? Jesus has this in mind. Yet even more so, Jesus is processing the relationship of Israel with God that is explained in Deuteronomy. It is in Deuteronomy that we understand clearly the voice of Jesus in Matthew, and you'll hear us go back to Deuteronomy over the next three weeks as the way to understand this relationship and how to work through it, specifically Deuteronomy 6 through 8. So if you're a studying type person, go read Deuteronomy 6 through 8, because it's really important to this piece. But Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3 is where Jesus gets his scripture. And it says this, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, this is God speaking, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which is neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The people of Israel were led into the desert so that God might humble and test them in order to know their heart. Israel's hunger was a significant moment in their education and understanding of God and God's purposes for them. It was after and only after they had experienced hunger that God fed them. And not in their own time, but in God's own time. And it was all a part of the process to get them ready for what was to come. God tests Abram. God tests Moses. God tests Israel. God tests now Jesus. So it would make sense that God would test us as well. Jesus' response comes from Scripture, but it is not only Scripture memorization that is effective here. He understands the life-giving nature of the Word and the law of God and the relationship to the living God that is really important that surrounds the Scripture, the story that gets us from one place to the next, the reality that God loves so greatly that he's been walking with his people for millennia. He is clear on the importance of following God and waiting for God's leading. He knows to keep God's commandments. Jesus chooses to be obedient to the Father, drawing strength and truth from communion that he has through fasting in the wilderness. Important point here. Remember, it is 
not Jesus's divinity that is in question here, but Jesus's humanity. If we believe that Jesus overcomes because of his divine identity, this text has very little to say to you and I about how we overcome temptation. If Jesus satiates his flesh and retreats from hunger, what confidence is there that he would save his life and retreat from excruciating death by getting down from a cross? There is a direct correlation to what Jesus is doing here and throughout the rest of Scripture and specifically in Matthew as we see this march to the cross. This march that is, is potmarked with moments of, man, I wonder if this is still the thing that God has for me. Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, is there some other way? And sometimes you and I think that too. Janine Brown, a theologian, says Jesus is representative Israel. And so the faithful son of God, providing the quintessential contrast to Israel's disobedience. R.T. France, again, says the story of the testing in the wilderness is thus an elaborate typological presentation of Jesus as himself, the true Israel, the son of God, through whom God's redemptive purpose for his people and the world now at last will reach its fulfillment. If this recognition of Jesus's sonship that allows us to see the wilderness jersey as preparation to enter his divine calling, where obedience to God's will takes priority over self-satisfaction, self-gratification, and even food. What does that mean for the church? What does that mean for Lake Avenue Church? What does that mean for you and I as followers, as believers for the church, I think there are three things. One, the title of this sermon, we have to get ready. Always be preparing for what God might have for us. We are in an in-between place. We are in between this quarantined COVID moment and this unquarantined hopeful moment out of COVID, I don't know. We are between who we are and who God wants us to be. We are in between senior pastors. We as a body have to be willing to engage the disciplines of fasting and prayer and scripture community that intentionally seeks transformation in ourselves as a corporate body. It is the transformation that will see us through the wilderness, through the in-between times, so that we might be prepared for a new thing with each other. Two, we have to follow God's lead. When we follow God's lead, we may not get where we think we are supposed to go. As a matter of fact, we may really desire to go back to where we were, even if that was a place where we were enslaved. In our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits, following God's lead means listening to the Holy Spirit. Period. It means that we have to listen to each other as well. It means coming to the honest realization that you, that I, might be wrong. It means putting our own desires and pet projects or ministries at the feet of God so that we can see if God is moving in them. If not, then we leave them there at the altar. If so, then we allow God to show us what's next so that we might understand how to use them well and how God wants to use them. Number three, we have to remain united in purpose. 
And I know that unity is this weird word that when we put it out there, people are wondering, I don't know what you mean by unity. I don't know if I want to join you yet. Let me be clear. I'm not one for uniformity and neither is God. In this community of Lake Avenue Church, we have some beautiful minds and some beautiful hearts that want so badly to serve God. And unity does not mean that one way is better than the other. But our purpose states this. Our mission is clear. Following Jesus, we participate in God's reconciling work by making disciples of all peoples and generations. Through worshiping together, growing in grace-filled communities, and serving God's mission, we will exemplify a God-glorifying, kingdom-reflecting, evangelistic living, and reconciling-seeking community. You can find that on our website. If we are united in that purpose, then you and I, no matter how we are working, will work together to further what God wants us to do beyond these walls. But the other part of this, what could this scripture mean for you individually? I have two things, and, and then we'll close. One, get ready. Get ready. The means for getting ready are the same as those in community. You have to engage the disciplines that God has worked in your life before and currently so that you might understand what God is doing for you now and in the future. I don't care if you were just baptized or you've been baptized for 50 years, you need to get ready for what God is going to do in your life because God is not done with you as long as you are sitting in those pews. But I will go one step further. You and I have to face the things that God wants to change in our lives so that we might be ready for what God wants to do in our lives. Here is the choice. Live life on my terms or live life on God's terms. It is a question that you have to answer daily. But when you are close to Jesus, when we are close to Jesus and you've spent time with the Lord, you understand your identity as sons and daughters of the living God. And when we live out of our flesh, we stray from the spirit. When we live from the identity that we are communally and continually in relationship with God, we live into what God has put into us. Number two. Resist temptation. Temptation is coming your way. It may be settled in your heart right now. Testing is coming your way. So you have to be able to identify what are the stand-ins for God. What are the stand-ins for God's teaching? What are the stand-ins for a relationship with God? Today, we're talking about what, what physically was taking place in Jesus' understanding of this. What part of your life is God not allowed? You see, in order to resist temptation, God needs access to your whole self to my whole self. So how do you give God access? Well, you can pray. But I want to offer two other ways. One, we have people here at Lake Avenue Church who would love to pray with you, to walk with you, we're talking about small groups that, that can just allow yourself to be in community. As well, our prayer team has been ready and continually stands by just to offer a prayer to surround you so that you might know you're not doing this alone. You can literally email prayers at lakeav.org. 
and engage in that reality. But I also want to remind you that we have a wonderful counseling center here. Moments that can help you get unstuck. Moments that, can, that can, you, can, you can engage in a conversation with someone who might just reflect back to you what you're hearing and maybe shift some things and point you in the right direction and offer you some help. If you need counseling, our counseling center is available to you as well. It is confidential. It is not that expensive. Call the intake line. Leave a message. Someone will get back to you. That number is 626-844-4794. You can go to our website as well or email counseling at lakeav.org. That's a lot. But remember as Jesus engages this temptation, it's a lot for him as well. We are trying to learn from the one who has gone before us so that we might learn how to follow well. These moments that you and I step into over these next few weeks as we walk into Easter are going to be potmarked with moments of great celebration like today, difficult moments as well. And as we continue to stay connected to the person of Jesus and learn from him, we will become what God is calling us to be. Amen and amen. Church, let's stand together. We're sitting around.
Amen. These moments are so good, right? The baptism moment, a wonderful singing moment, families together, and opportunities for us to seek God together. And if you've come and you just need someone to pray with you right now, to my left, your right, beautiful group of people are willing to pray with you. And if that's, that feels a little difficult to be down front, there's a prayer room through those doors and off to the side. If you're online, prayers at lakeab.org and or just chat in the comments. Folks are there so that you might be enveloped into this community as well. If you want to get more connected to Lake Avenue Church throughout these doors, down the center and to the left, some folks with some blue and orange lanyards that would love to help connect you to a small group, to a community, to a, a teaching community. We want you to be a part of what God's doing here. So good, so good. Right after I'm done here, we are going to talk about bylaws. Woo! It's an important conversation. It really does set up the way that we are going to move forward for the future. And it's a conversation that's been going on for a long time. So if you're invested here and you want this to continue to be the space where you lead, you want to be a part of that conversation. So right after, in here. And then last piece. Next week, there's a, a grandparenting ministry Thing. I, I, I love that we continue to lean into our, our grandparents as, as those who can lean into kids and help them understand faith. And so if you're in, intrigued about that or wanting to know more information about that, go to our website, go to the Grandparenting Ministry page. That's a space that you'll be able to connect there. All good stuff. Receive now this benediction, this good word. May the God of grace mercy and peace, the God of justice and hope and joy, cause you to get ready, cause you to be prepared because he's got some great things for you to do and he has some wonderful things for Lake Avenue Church to do and we need you to do them. Amen. And amen. Go in peace.